0: Well, you know, a lot of people can't afford to buy every book they want to read. Yeah. I mean, if I had to buy every book I wanted to read, I would be way more picky with my reading than I would be with, um, than I am with my purchasing. So just to be able to go and like explore the shelves and try a book, like just pulling that Garth Nix title off the shelf. Mm-hmm. You know, I read that. I was like, oh my goodness, this is one of the best things I've ever read. And now I own all his books. And I don't know if I would have discovered him if I had just had a bookstore. You know, the library helps you try things without worrying. It's an easier way to recommend things to people than having to acquire a copy and pass it around. Um, And I think it helps authors kind of get into the zeitgeist and, Mm -hmm. you know, form a, a community that everybody belongs to without having to spend money first.
1: Hello, ivory tower boiler room listeners. So this is a really exciting library corner special. Welcome to National Library Week. So of course, I had to bring two librarians to all of you. So here with me is Emily Ostrander and Darla Salva Cruz. Welcome both. I'm so excited to talk all things literacy and libraries.
0: Thanks for having us. Yes,
1: of course, of course. So Of course, all of us have nostalgic memories with libraries. And if you don't out there and you're listening, make some nostalgic memories of libraries after you listen to this. Um, But I want to just know, where did you begin with your library journey? Do you remember your corner library? You know, when did it appear in your universe? So, you know, I'm going to start with Emily. Do you remember your first library experience?
2: Yes, so I was in Massapequa until I was about seven. So my memories of the Massapequa Library are very kind of hazy. I know I did some, you know, toddler programs and that sort of thing, Um, but I know my mom told a story that the first time she ever took me to the library, um, (laughs) it's not exactly a good story, but the first time she ever took me to a library, when she was checking out the books, I was probably like 18 months and she popped me on the counter at the circulation desk and the circ clerk yelled at her for putting me up on the, on the counter. So she kind of got this feeling that that library was very like kind of cold and stuffy. <laughs> so when we moved out to um, the Stony Brook area, my library changed to the MS Clark Memorial Library and um, pretty much my love of libraries, which I would say started there. Because I went to every program I could get into as soon as I was old enough to volunteer I was volunteering in the library, and then I just never left. (laughs) So
1: that's where I started out. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Darla?
0: Um, My story is not too dissimilar. Um, So I, when I was very little we lived in Holbrook so my first library from almost before I can remember was Sachem public library. Um, It's been renovated since. But I kind of have some vague memories of what it looked like when I was small. And my mom tells me lots of stories, you know, the different programs and books I would pick out there. And actually, the first time I visited it as an adult, I was like, oh, I kind of remember this corner. I remember these stairs. I remember the light over here, even though it's changed. Um, When I was maybe about like three, I think we moved to Northport. Um, so all my memories are of the Northport Public Library and some of the East Northport Public Library, and we were also like, we just lived there. Mm -hmm. I did all the programs, Um, you know, the librarians were my friends. As I got older, I also did, you know, like the book discussion groups, I did volunteering. Um, I worked as a page at the library when I was in high school, Um, and then I decided to be a librarian while I was still working as a page there.
1: Yeah, wow. That's so interesting that you both, you know, it's always been a touchstone for your um, phases of your your phases from childhood into adolescence and then now into adulthood, um, which we have to claim we're adults. Um, (laughs) But yeah, my memories are really similar. I loved the Margaret Hagen Library in South Jersey where I grew up. And again, it was in the smaller space, kind of like what Emily was, or no, Darla, what you said. Um, And then now they're in a larger space. And I loved the toddler programs, the arts and crafts, the story time. I remember when they had the circulating audio books for children's books. But just that journey, I'm sure the three of us and everyone who loves libraries out there can remember just making your way through the library was such a journey from the children's area, the children's lit area to the teen section to then the adult section. And I mean, I know for myself, those were really fond memories of when did you move to each phase? And I think the teen section was so exciting because, For me, it really developed my sense of horror, like being a fan of horror literature, Gothic literature. um, I don't know if either of you remember, but there's the Christopher Pike series. Yeah. Okay. He was kind of like Stephen King's, (laughs) Stephen King sanitized (laughs) is how I would say it. But, um, and then also of course LGBTQ plus literature. I was lucky enough to have those teen series. But yeah, for both of you, do you remember almost like the phases of the moon, those phases of the library sections, like when you made your way through that maze?
2: For sure, yeah. So for me, um, the transition came with the battle of books, actually, because I was very much attached to the children's department, even aging out of the children's department. I didn't want to (laughs) go. (laughs) I did not want to go to the teen section. I liked my children's sections. I liked my children's librarians. I was perfectly happy in there, Um, but I aged out of the summer reading program and the next thing on the list is the battle of the books. So um, to be part of the battle of the books, obviously the books are in the teen department. And so I sort of made my way down there very trepidatiously (laughs) and then, um, you know, fell in love with everything that I found in that area as well.
1: Yeah. So what is the battle of the books, Emily? Just to explain, is that a New York specific? Is it a reading challenge? It sounds like it is Darla would
2: have more exact knowledge on it. But from what I when I was in it, it's essentially like a trivia, book trivia challenge on steroids. Um, When I was in it, it was 12 books that you were being tested on. It since has narrowed down a little bit, which is much better, much better, much easier for the teens. Um, But yes, it's, it's a um, interlibrary challenge across Suffolk County and other counties do it as well, but it's a huge deal. (laughs) Oh, anyway. That sounds so
1: fun. I love those <laughs> reading challenges. I I even love that there's adult reading challenges. I mean, my library now is Port Jeff Library for the past seven years, but um, Emily knows. I know Emma Clark Library very well. I know I know a lot of the libraries. I've been to the Northport Library. I've been to Nassau County libraries. I have a New York Public Library card. Um, so yeah, I'm infatuated with libraries. Um, which those reading challenges, though, I also remember, do either of you remember the Barnes and Noble challenge? No. There was like a summer challenge from Barnes and Noble where you had this tally, kind of like what they do with library challenges, but you would get a free book. And I was so excited to get that free book (laughs) that you would choose from, a list. Yeah. I didn't know
0: about that. Yeah, yeah.
1: But we'll get to... We have to eventually discuss the intersection of bookstores and libraries because I'm always fascinated with those in between areas um, or how they feed each other, I'll say. But Darla, I need to get to you. Do you remember anything specific about just making your way from one of those phases?
0: Yeah. So I guess my memories of going from children's to teen aren't so firm although I, I also did battle of the books so that must have been when I kind of jumped over but mm. I have a very firm memory of like in in Northport library when I was a teen there the teen area was small it's since moved and now it's big and beautiful but it was kind of a corner but I remember one day just walking around and I was there by myself which felt special first of all and I was like I'm going to pick a book and I picked a book because of the little logo on its spine. I was like, that looks cool. And it was Sabriel by Garth Nix, which turned into one of my favorite books of all time. And I took it off the shelf because I liked the way the spine looked. And that it feels like a very foundational memory for some reason of moving up to the teen section.
2: That's a really good lucky, lucky choice. Right? (laughs) Like such good luck.
1: Yeah. (laughs) But it's really interesting that all of us remember because um, I know the Emma Clark Library has the, its historic reading room, right, and um, for everyone out there, Emily works at the Emma Clark Library, just so, um, you know, and if you're wondering why she has such intimate knowledge um, of it, but. Grew up and never left. <laughs> yeah, grew up, never left, but also that reading room, if I remember, is the original section of the library or yes. its oldest area. Um, just like Port Jeff has its historic reading room. Um, And then Darla, just for everyone out there, what library, and I know it's a little different, but where are you mainly housed at?
0: So I work for the Suffolk Cooperative Library System, which is not technically speaking a public library. Um, We serve the member libraries, the public libraries of Suffolk County. So I think it's 54 or 56 public libraries. We do collective services, which is a ton of stuff, but it includes when you do an interlibrary loan. So, you know, your library, you go, they, you want a book, they don't have it, but another library does. When you order it, it comes through us. Um, We do ordering of materials to save everybody money, which includes everything from databases, access to digital resources, um, materials for librarians to run programs or host events at their library. So things like story time kits all the way to a movie screen. Um, And then my department is youth services. I'm the youth services consultant. So I work with children's and teen librarians and staff around the county and I kind of do a little bit of everything. I feel like my job is to be a librarian for librarians. So I run programs for them to do professional development. Um, anybody can call and ask us questions when you need help with stuff. Um, it's, a, it's a very exciting mixed bag of responsibilities. And we're located out in Bellport, which is kind of near Pachag.
1: Yeah, yeah, a really cute town, Bellport Village. Very cute, yeah. So cute. and have to shout out um, the Playhouse. Yeah. It? Um, it'll come to me. Is it the gateway?
0: I think so, yeah, yeah. Okay, gateway. okay,
1: good. I always pass the sign on my <laughs> way. I know it was going to come to me, but yeah, really cute stuff. area. Um, So I love that you brought up exactly what you do, Darla, and Emily, just for everyone out there, you know, what is your role at the Emma Clark Library?
2: So I'm the teen services librarian. I do anything and everything to do with the teen collection, teen programming, teen, anything you got, that's me.
1: Yeah, all things teen. Um, (laughs) And what I love is just hearing what exactly Darla, the library offers, right? And I am always so enthralled that they are, having 3D printers, there's, you know, uh, renting devices, um, uh, computer labs, of course, audio books, DVDs, albums, record players I've seen, um, museum passes for New York City. I love that the library is just such a cultural center. And I really feel that it's the town's heartbeat of its arts and culture. Um, And so let's get into the misconceptions because, you know, even Emily said feeling the stuffiness. Unfortunately, I think that is a common general public misconception. Like even when I started this recording, I should say, shh, let's (laughs) all be quiet. No, but where do you think that misconception or why does that exist like why do you think the general public thinks the library is this very prim and proper you have to come in and almost feel in a way um isolated in the library as an experience like where why does that happen
2: So I would say some of it is probably just representation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I feel like every, almost every time you see a librarian in media or in a book, well, more in media than in books, but anytime you see one, it is the tight bun and the, you know, be quiet and, um, you know, that old, the old wood and the you know, academic books and everybody's being very quiet and you get yelled at for sneezing, you know, that sort of thing. I think that's um, usually how the library is presented. Very rarely do we get the thriving, you know, children's department chaos that's always going on or, you know, representations of as you're saying like the museum passes or the library of things or even just like at any given time there could be two to three programs going on in the library it's not just reading it's there's a lot more going on there
1: yeah yeah well and you're talking about that music man representation like Marianne the librarian who has (laughs) her own number or no well um is being sung about yes um you know now that it's back on broadway but Mm -hmm. um Okay. And then Darla, like, do you want to add on to that? Is there misconceptions that you see?
0: I mean, I totally agree. Like that. It's very sticky, that view of the librarian so much so that you can find some really good papers about it and tracking the the kind of stereotype across history and genres Mm -hmm. and stuff. But I will say there's a lot of very good, hardworking middle grade and YA authors who are like really fighting to rewrite the way librarians are represented. So everything, you know, from just kind of like friendly chill librarians to, you know, colored hair and tattoos and cool clothes. And like, no, we're loud in the library. Yeah. Um, I guess the only thing I would add is that, you know kind of not for nothing, but there's a lot of reasons why a person might have felt excluded from the library. You know, whether it's because of race or because of your age. Um, And it's really hard work to bring people who have felt, who have been made to feel that this is not a place for them back. Even once you've, you know, done all the work to say, like, okay, this is now a place where all kinds of people will be comfortable. That outreach work of bringing people back in is kind of never ending.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I would, would you say, too, social class? Yeah, totally. like especially libraries um, in upper middle-class areas. A hundred percent. Yeah, like yeah. you can even feel that privilege. Yeah, it's very towns. easy to be made
0: to feel like, oh, this isn't a place for me. You know, and it might not even be the staff. It could be the other people there, the way they're looking at you, the way they're interacting with you. It's really hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think what's so wonderful is this cultural, the center, it almost becomes... Is it too much of a stretch to say that the library in a way is a type of community center? Not at
0: all. Right, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and I mean, maybe how is the library, like how do you see as an institution it changing? Like, is there anything it's embracing that's really innovative and you want everyone to hear about it? Like, you know, no, like this is happening right now. You know, either of you, anything cool you see happening?
2: So the Emma Clark Library is getting a cafe. <laughs> we are doing a lot of renovations right now. It's a little noisy in the library and um, we're putting on an outdoor seating area with like cafe table side sort of a situation, power outlets obviously, so you can go out there with your laptops and such. And yeah, we're embracing that libraries are becoming a bit more of a community social a center to be at. So we're trying to provide that um place where you can come and get a cup of coffee and then hang out with friends as opposed to just going in, grabbing your stuff and getting back out again.
1: Oh, that is so exciting. I, you know, have to shout out because I've worked with them the Port Washington Library has a cafe and um, (laughs) I love this whole idea of the cafe bookstore in a way I love bookstores that have coffee shops. I mean, the big one is Barnes & Noble, but McNally-Jackson in Manhattan, if you haven't been, amazing. Um, I love the Seaport one, just because I do a lot of work in that area. But um, I love that it's becoming this, like you said, Emily, a workspace. And I feel like now we're all bringing laptops everywhere. So (laughs) it's all about where are the power strips? And (laughs) where can I get coffee? Where can I get a book? So it just makes sense. The libraries become this, like, to bring in this are the younger generation too. I think Mm -hmm. Um, it's a wonderful model. Um, And you know, Darla, do you see any like other innovation happening? I could I could talk
0: all day because, like, in my job, I get to talk with so many different library staff members. Um, We see things like outdoor. Experience spots for kids. Like there's um, these just like great little gardens where you can play. Where there's sensory experiences. Um, a couple libraries have put in kind of like museum centers where they rotate wow. displays. Um, another thing I just I just really love. A lot of libraries, a lot of children's services departments and teen teen departments too, are working on making their programming as inclusive as they can. You know. To make sure that everybody's welcome. So, doing things like, you know, understanding what kind of accommodations different kinds of people need mm-hmm. and how to communicate to the public that they can ask for them, how to go out into the community and say, like, hey, you know, if this program's too loud, let us know. We can adjust it to make sure your kid is comfortable. Um, you know, whatever kinds of needs different kids in the community have, you know, maybe like kids with autism or kids with sensory disorders like it just really warms my heart how hard they're working to try and figure out how to make sure
1: everybody is welcome. No, that's so important, the accessibility and different yeah. learning styles too. Yeah, um, totally. But like my experience was my mom took me to the library as a like infant. I mean, there's a, <laughs> if my mom was here, she would tell you the story of when I had a temper tantrum cause I wanted to check out so many things. And she said, no. And then I like started screaming, apparently, and she said, "Okay, you don't get anything." And then oh, I learned my lesson. Oh yeah, oh, but, no. but you know, also, a temper tantrum's not right. Um, but you know that humorous story aside, I would go to the library every week, you know, up until I could go by myself. Um, it was very Matilda like, but with a parent who actually wanted that literacy um, to happen and still love Matilda and those library scenes, Um, but we'll have to get it maybe. Oh, that's a question I have to ask later, which is what's your favorite media library scene. Um, So, (laughs) Antenna, Yeah, antennas up. (laughs) Um, But I would go to the library every week and I think something I just learned being there so much like my mom would go to the magazine area, and there's always new magazines. Right. Um, And I would just make my way around. And I think the public always the assumption is, oh, this is just a fixated static entity. Like the books are there. They've always been there and they're not changing. But the amount of new material Mm -hmm. is so fascinating. And I mean, how do libraries I always want to know, how do they know how much they can bring? And then how do they decide what has to go? I mean, that would make me really nervous. Um, So, I mean, do either of you have insight into that? Like who decides, you know, who decides the new books or the current new releases? And then how do you know how much room you have? (laughs)
2: Well, room is a constant battle. Uh, (laughs) You know, that's usually... I would say librarians that have been there for 20 years probably know what they're doing, but the rest of us kind of just try our best and hope that you know people check out enough that there's space on the shelf. Um, but collection development usually falls to the librarians and depending on the library, most usually assign a particular section to a particular librarian. So in my case, I'm in charge of everything teen But I'm also in charge of the 200s in nonfiction, adult nonfiction, which is the religion section. And the 620s to 699, which is a mishmash of different things. But a lot of the cookbooks and business books are up there. Um, So anytime I'm looking to buy new books, we're checking for good reviews. It's usually journals plus, you know, the New York Times plus Patron suggestions. Patron suggestions actually hold more weight even than reviews do in most cases. If somebody says, I want this thing and we can get our hands on it, we will.
1: That's a good shout out. Patrons out there, you have power. Um, us, y'all. <laughs> yeah. And also a shout out to a magazine that actually is how I find a lot of the contemporary interviews for our book clubs is Book Page. I love Book Page. I'm like, <laughs> And I have the New York Review of Books or yeah, the New York Times review um, of books and then other magazines, but book page is just so accessible, I love. And that's always a fun monthly find at the library. Um, And then Darla, I mean, what would you add on to? I guess just that, you know, there's as many arrangements of
0: this as there are libraries Mm. in my job. I don't really have to deal with this. Um, my book ordering, I, we at where I work, we handle the overdrive collection for the county. Um, and so I get to order children's materials um, and I don't run out of space. So I'm very spoiled. <laughs> I never have to weed anything. Yeah, sometimes yeah. things get weeded from our collection um, because to get into ebook pricing, like sometimes you just buy a copy and it persists forever. Sometimes you buy a copy and it expires after two years or so many checkouts, and then you can say like, do we want to order another copy? And if it hasn't circulated, you would say no. That's the closest we have to do to ever getting rid of a book.
1: Yeah, and for all of those out there, Overdrive, can you just like kind of explain Overdrive. what it is? Yeah, it's,
0: yeah. So it's like our digital branch for Suffolk County is probably the easiest way to explain it. Um, it's an a, an ebook library. Um, the website is Overdrive. The app is now called Libby. I think they're officially all switched over. And you can check out ebooks and audiobooks using your Suffolk County library card. Lots of other counties across the country use Overdrive as well. Um, but we have a really big and really good collection. Um, I use it constantly.
1: Oh my gosh, that like app is amazing. Out. I love yeah. the app. I am always like, right now, I have some. Um, Gregory Maguire. Um, I have that new memoir called, I think it's called the power of fun. I hope so. Mm. Um, which looks really exciting, some empowerment and right. Getting yourself organized around the pleasure principle. Um, and then I'll do a lot of our book club choices, the audiobooks. their audiobooks are incredible. And oh, yeah. yeah. So, and I think Libby is pretty national. It's, like it's an app that's not just county specific.
0: Yeah, but when you like, if you sign in with your Suffolk card, you're just seeing the books we own. But also if you go in and you don't see a book, it's really easy to request it. I think you have to do it through the website, but usually we buy almost anything people request. I think the only reason we don't is like occasionally a title will be like, $500 and we go, no, you know, <laughs> usually if it's like an academic title or something, yeah, oh like an yeah. insane price and then, you know, some unreasonable price, sorry. And then we won't uh, pick it up, but that's, that's usually the only reason why we wouldn't.
1: Yeah. And I think both of you um, to dispel, maybe to get into the bookstore side, because I'm sure the three of us, we love bookstores too. I, this isn't like um, an us versus them team. Um, And I think sometimes there is this maybe pitting against each other Um, that can happen because I think there's another misconception, which is that authors don't benefit from libraries, but that's not the case, right? Can you (laughs) clear us of that misconception? Why is it important for borrowers to check out material from living authors? like how how would, how does that help an author okay hold on to that question because we'll be right back but first a word from our sponsor
0: Well, you know, a lot of people can't afford to buy every book they want to read. Yeah. I mean, if I had to buy every book I wanted to read, I would be way more picky with my reading than I would be with um, than I am with my purchasing. So, just to be able to go and like explore the shelves and try a book, like just pulling that Garth Nix title off the shelf. You Mm -hmm. know, I read that I was like, Oh, my goodness, this is one of the best things I've ever read. And now I own all his books. And I don't know if I would have discovered him if I had just had a bookstore. You know, the library helps you try things without worrying. It's an easier way to recommend things to people than having to acquire a copy and pass it around. Um, And I think it helps authors kind of get into the zeitgeist and Mm -hmm you know, form a a community that everybody belongs to without having to spend money first.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Emily, anything else about, you know, is there something else about why it's so important to support your authors, your favorite authors or find new authors and have the library be the interaction, maybe their first interaction with that author?
2: Yeah, I was basically, I'll just follow along with what Darla says, but yeah, I would say that personally, I use the library as a free trial (laughs) kind of an idea in that I will, you know, read a book or watch a movie or something like that through the library first. And then if I like it, I go out and buy it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my bookshelves are full of things that I read through the library and then knew were so good I wanted to own them. And then I'll pass them around to my friends in that way. So for authors that are looking to you know make that make them <laughs> make the money that way, it really helps to have those copies in the libraries and they don't the libraries don't get these copies for free. We do purchase them and yeah. the more um, you know the more need there is for a title, the more copies we'll buy. I mean at Emma Clark, we try to keep it you know four holds to a copy. So there are times we have 20 25 copies of a book. And as an individual, you would never buy that many unless you were starting a book club. Um, But as a library, we can get, you know, many, many, many copies of the book.
1: Yeah, so there is a financial incentive to an author. And um, I love what you say though, also about word of mouth or branding, right? If I'm carrying around a book and I have all these books from the library, say, you know, I'm getting my coffee. I just came from the library it's exposure. I'm on the train. It's exposure. Um, I will say, I don't
0: think I've ever heard an author who thinks the library is like, hmm, Mm -mm. it's usually maybe the vibe you get from the publishing company, like maybe the, you know, and even like, not even like the school library branch of the publishing company, you know, some unnamed marketing aspect of it. Most authors I've met or heard of they feel the same as the three of us do yeah oh they love libraries
1: yeah and i mean who wouldn't want who wouldn't want their book in all the libraries i mean it's just also i would say talk about um the new generation is how the libraries have really embraced social media and Mm -hmm. i think it's wonderful to know that if you're with your favorite author in a library you could take a screenshot, right? You can take a selfie, take a selfie with your favorite book and- Take a selfie. A shelfie. Oh, That's is a, that what you I'm call very it? Very I selfie. love it, a selfie. <laughs> um, and all the programming. So maybe is there, is there a program that, you know, is that Emma Clark, right? You're there, Emily. Mm-hmm. Or Darla, a program that you've just seen with the amount, the massive amount of libraries you interact with I think you said over 55. Which so many, um, and Suffolk County and Long Island has so many libraries. I love Long Island's libraries. They're they're doing it right, ladies and gentlemen, um, and all people out there. Um, they are. Long Island has some really great literacy programs, um, but yeah. So, what program would maybe surprise us, or something you even interacted in, or taught that you know we wouldn't suspect is there something that just you know was really enjoyable Mm. that the library offered some
2: libraries offer bus trips to see broadway shows Mm. i've never gotten to go on one but i was so jealous when they were happening at other libraries
1: (laughs) and they're discounted right yes they're discounted Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. so if you've ever wanted to get see a broadway show but you don't want to drive into the city or you don't want to take the train, you know, the libraries can get you in there with a bus. I know they kind of shut down with COVID. Obviously there were, I mean, Broadway shut down with COVID. So for a while that hasn't been going on but I have seen some libraries starting back up with the bus trips. So, you know, check your local newsletters.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I'll get to you Darla but that kind of triggered my memory of um, what I've seen. Just on Long Island, like there's been cooking demonstrations or, um, oh, I know I took a meditation class Nice. which I wouldn't have gone to that if I had to go to a studio to pay like $30 and I was doing an hour meditation. Now I would go because of that experience. Right. But again, that's what you're saying. It's your first encounter in a low stakes environment.
2: Yeah. Like a free environment. Yeah, goat, goat yoga. Goat (laughs) yoga, favorite one. Goat yoga. Not Emma Clark. Come swap, but goat
1: yoga. yoga. I wanted to
2: go so badly. Oh, that sounds so. You're having what? I signed myself up to be in charge of it. I was like, "You need somebody out there, right? Yeah, okay. I'm gonna go just hang with the goats for an hour and a half. Thank you. Oh, (laughs)
1: that's so enjoyable. Yeah, Darla. Any other surprising programming? Oh man, I mean
0: when Emily, you mentioned the Broadway bus trips that reminded me of a library I used to work at and they, they had all kinds of bus trips, but one of them was to go look at Christmas lights. Mm. Like I don't quite know where they drove, but it was like one of those destination towns, like somewhere. In I wonder DC, if it was Brooklyn. Like, my, I oh, think it might've been Brooklyn.
1: Brooklyn has the historic Christmas yeah. light area. So they
0: would take a bunch of people on a bus that's to go so look fun. at the Christmas lights. I was like, that's so thoughtful. Yeah, I
1: yeah. think some, oh, sorry. I was going to say in some mm-hmm. libraries do haunted houses. Yeah. Um, oh yeah.
0: We have, um, we have libraries. Like I talked to this one librarian and they put together an AR, augmented reality scavenger hunt. And they put it together in-house. They made it like tip to toe, the whole thing themselves. It was- such a good idea <laughs> it was so like oh. creative
1: and cool oh so fun oh my gosh so again though the programming is not just for children there's adult programming there's oh, yeah. um you know like i said there's so many and this is all libraries i was so surprised yeah. just how many classes are going on oh learning a new language yeah um and Ten classes yeah just learning computer programs yeah we
0: just had a um we had a training where it was ideas for summer programming and this one librarian from upstate I don't remember what county she was from but she told us about a program that she put together herself I believe she did it all herself and it was um like a book subscription box and Mm -hmm. she would put Curated titles in a box for her teens, send it out like little tchotchkes and goodies in the box with it, and she would track who had read what and what genres they liked, and I think she said she did it like every other month, and it it was just such a loving program, such a really like heartfelt thing that she did for her teens. Um, and everybody on the call, there were like a couple hundred librarians on the call. They were like, wow, we love that. How'd you do it? She got a million questions. Like, what kind of boxes did you use? How'd you track the books? What program? Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. It was very no, cool. That's such a creative, but again, there's so much um innovation and um just these creative brainstorming sessions I love it like a subscription service I mean who would think that um okay so you know we've talked about misconceptions now I have to ask you both what is a humorous story just something that you've seen as your time as a librarian that um will make us all crack up listening to this so you know, Emily, what is something that has happened as your time being a librarian that just maybe boggled your mind?
2: <laughs> so I have two fish tank related instances, oh, which no. were <laughs> something. Uh, <laughs> so for those who don't know, we have a, a fish tank in the children's department, which is great. Um, and you know, most kids come in they take a look at the fish, they love it, whatever. Um, but. Over the summer, I would say probably about six or seven years ago, I don't know what was going on, but this fish tank was getting uh, far too much action in the wrong way. Um, we had a bunch of pretty tropical fish and one pleco, which is basically like a catfish. It cleans the tank. So every day you see the pleco. One day we come in and we're, we look and we say, there are two pleco in this tank. Why are there two pleco?" check and realize what happened is somebody smuggled their pleco in. library. yeah yes oh yes what they smuggled their pleco in and plopped it when nobody was looking and now we had two pleco
1: <laughs> that's, oh. so, that's yeah. pretty funny though I mean yep. I guess good for them being um environmentalist
2: I I mean I guess at least it was the fish tank and not the pond because the plecos would survive in our pond but yeah we were like wow that's that's something that you thought let me just toss my pleco in the the library's fish tank
1: yeah that's some aquatic Um, ingenuity uh ingenuity there and um yeah. yeah yeah but like to actually bring in the fish
2: I know that's the thing none of us saw it until we checked back later and we were like how did we not see this happen? Yeah. The person with like a, you know, a cup of fish just kind of dumped them. Bring your
1: their- own fish in your handbag.
2: <laughs> I don't yeah. know
1: what's happening. Uh, very oh, oh my gosh. It reminds me of like when you would go to a carnival and you would get that like goldfish in the bag. Yep. And those goldfish did not do well. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. They're not good in bags, no. <laughs> uh, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. Um,
2: the thrive. The Plecos thrive together, believe it or not. And, there's, can-
1: and are the Plecos still alive?
2: The plecos outgrew the tank and wow. Wow. yes. So they were yay big by the end of it. And the fish tank was only probably like this, you know? Wow. So um, yeah, so we have a fish person that does the fish stuff and they took him and put them into a bigger tank. And we we have new plecos now, we have eight.
1: Really oh,
2: okay. So but big. so they're
1: thriving. That's they're good. Thriving. Okay, so yeah, that's that's good. an uplifting story <laughs> from an odd encounter. Um, Okay, Darla, where can you take us? So I don't really have one about a patron, but I have one about myself.
0: (laughs) When I was little, this is a very vivid memory. Um, I loved to go to the library to play the computer games uh, because this was back in the days of nobody, you know, we didn't, we certainly didn't have a home computer. I don't think a ton of people did like in the nineties. So I'd go to the library and I liked to play the Oregon Trail. Uh, And I remember sitting at the carol at the little, you know, station and I played and I named everybody in my Oregon trail party after my family and they slowly died one by one. And I probably had like one of the biggest public meltdowns of my life. I think my mom had to like carry me out because I was so sad that I had killed my entire family. Oh, I no. thought it was my fault, and they were like really gonna die now or something.
1: Oh my goodness! Well, yeah, and I mean, I'm sure both of you. We could spend like a whole hour on things in books. Um, oh, I mean, yeah. I have the story of my first ever spilling coffee on a book, and I was so Ooh. sad when I came to the Port Jeff Library. I like <laughs> it was as if I was um, admitting to a crime. I'm like, I'm going to tell you now there's tried to get out the coffee stains, but I can't couldn't do it. And they're like, don't worry. We've seen worse than coffee stains. I'm like, "Okay." I think there's such a barrier to even like spilling coffee that there's this barrier of I have overdue books or I've had a friend who never went back to the library because she was afraid of how much money she was going to pay. And I'm like, yeah. that is so sad. I'm like, no, don't feel that you can't go back. You're not blacklisted, but mm-hmm. it's good to say that, right? Because I think, again, people feel that if they do damage a book, they're banished. And mm-hmm. that's just not the case. No, not at all. Not <laughs> yeah. At all. yeah.
0: That isn't to say, though, that those feelings are coming from like a bad place, though. I mean, like, if I spill coffee on my book, it might be the first time I've ever done it, right? Like, maybe the library sees five coffee stained books a day, but it's the first time I've ever done it. So I'm scared. Um, A lot of libraries are choosing to go to get rid of their fines to go fine free now, um, specifically for that reason, because it's such a barrier to getting people back in, right? We were talking about like the reason somebody might have a bad experience in the library and not come back. Um, One of those might be, you know, that somebody treated someone a certain way because of who they are or the way they look when they had some fines or they couldn't pay some fines um, and just removing the, possibility of that negative interaction happening at all to get rid of the fines means that we're welcoming more people in. Um, And honestly, like for some people, if you owe $5, $10, that might not be money you have. So it might not even just be an embarrassment thing. That's like a lot of money, depending on what week it is for you, who you are, where you live. Um, So just to say that, you know, don't worry about it. We're not going to stop you from using the other services is
1: huge. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think it's amazing that so many libraries are getting rid of fines because and I love the New York Public Library please (laughs) love them but 25 cents a day for a book that's that's one of the highest I've seen it's deep Yeah. yeah I mean I don't know if they've removed the fines yet I haven't heard that they've removed fines um but again it's like you said, Darla, it's taking away a barrier that's, you know, anxiety producing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, as we near the end, I want to ask just two questions, and they're not rapid fire, but I just want to know from both of you, what is your favorite literary um, genre, which is tough, but you know, I'll start with Emily. What is your favorite literary genre to delve into?
2: I would say memoir at this point. I love memoirs. I read, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of memoirs. Um, I was a historical fiction kid. I read pretty much everyone that had the historical fiction sticker on it in the children's department. I literally went A to Z and just went all the way down, all those American girls, obviously, and then anything else I could get my hands on. But as I get older and adult, I'm not finding as many historical fiction. Um, teen, there's a lot of, it's okay, but there's some really, really good ones I wish I could get kids to read. Um, and adult historical fiction, I have very little patience for it. You know, four chapters in, I'm like, if it's not gripping me, I'm not, I'm not gonna read the rest of it. But memoir, I definitely read a ton of memoirs.
1: I love, love I especially love celebrity memoirs because it's yeah. <laughs> especially the audiobooks when they I just love when someone reads their own memoir yeah and it's a performance I mean I'll shout out Casey Wilson's um what is it wreckage oh I have to remember wreckage of my presence I think that's <laughs> what it's called you know, yeah. sorry, Casey, if I got your memoir title wrong, but it's really good. Um, okay. And then Darla, what is your favorite literary genre? So
0: I'm so glad, Emily, you phrased yours in the way you did, because it's exactly how I think about mine, but mine is fantasy. Like I mm-hmm. always loved fantasy books, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of put off by the, you know, like 15 book long high fantasy series that is not, it's not the only kind of adult fantasy, but it's like a lot of them. Um, I really loved fantasy books as a kid. I loved The Lord of the Rings. I wrote my thesis paper on it. Um, Mm -hmm. These days, I read a lot of nonfiction when I'm reading adult titles. I like to listen to it as an audiobook, and I
1: like to read it. Yeah, yeah. Well, how about then audiobooks? Like, is there something especially what are you gravitating towards now? Just because I love audiobooks. Like, I can't believe I'm like now discovering them because I'm addicted. Um, and I like that you can incorporate it into different areas of your life too. Um, totally. Right, again, complementing each other. It's not one or the other. Um, so Emily, you know, what audiobook maybe you've just listened to or something you're gravitating to?
2: Yeah, so I would say I 95 to 100% of my reading is audiobooks. Um, believe it or not, when I was a kid, I read print books like all the time. But then as soon as I got into college, I kind of lost that drive. Um, but audiobooks have been a constant companion. Um, so actually, right now, speaking of memoirs read by the author, um, I'm reading Harvey <gasps> Um, I was better last night. Oh, I had it-
1: to request that. Oh my gosh. Thank you. You just reminded me. (laughs) Oh, he's amazing. I heard him being interviewed on um, serious radio, actually by Mm -hmm. Andy Cohen on his show. Oh, I love Harvey Firestone. Okay. Well, don't spoil it for me, Emily, even though it's his life, but. (laughs) Okay. Well, and he he reads it, right? He does. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you need his voice. I mean, yeah. It's such a unique
2: voice sometimes I have read some memoirs that are by um, I guess impersonators in some cases Hmm. and it's good but it's just not the same and definitely I mean Herbie for for sure (laughs) such an iconic voice it's you know you have to have that personal touch there
1: yeah okay such a good recommendation and Mm -hmm. then Darla so at?
0: this is like a hard question for you to answer because I've spoiled myself. I love audiobooks and I've spoiled myself, like ruined myself by <laughs> doing some audiobook award committee situations for the past couple of years. I did um, the Odyssey Award, which is given by um, YALSA and ALSC, which are American Library Association things and book list. And then I did a couple of years of the Audis, which are run by the Audio publishers association i might have gotten the acronyms wrong i'm sorry everybody um but what this has done is made me like i i can't help but be really picky and so you know like all the things you have to listen for when you're evaluating for an award now drive me mad so you know i can't hear background noise it's it, i'm just ruined for it it's terrible so i'm on an audiobook break right now i'm just doing podcasts but yeah. i have on hold on libby is my friend told me about a new version of the lord of the rings read by andy circus and i'm like okay
1: i'm gonna get back into audiobooks
0: me and gollum and the lord of the
1: rings (laughs) well that's also like i love that they have the classics being read by um cape lanchette or um, um i just heard well right now um I'm listening to Alice Walker read the color purple because I'm teaching Ooh. that to my students. She is just so good. Um, be and again, like I've read The Color Purple, but hearing it, I just feel that it brings a new level to read it and listen because yeah, totally. there's ways of her narrating, and I understand now the characterization in a different way. Um, like they're two, they're two separate um entities or two separate almost beings you know yeah um so yeah ah this is so exciting had so much fun i can't believe we're out of time but you know i'll have to have you both back on for another library related theme um yeah so thank you emily thank you darla also you know if you want to shout out where can people follow you where can they follow your library so I'll start with you, Emily. How can these listeners get your social media?
2: Um... So I would actually suggest call the library because I'm on there frequently. <laughs> I am not shy of putting my face on the library's um, social medias or the programs that I'm doing out there or my recommendations. So Uh I would say follow the Emma S. Clark Memorial Library. We have a Facebook, an Instagram of Emma Clark Library. There's a Twitter that's very active at times. Um, We have YouTube channels, but they don't have as much on them. But yeah, I would say definitely follow the Instagram, the Facebook, the Twitter, we're all over the place and I'm on there all the time.
1: (laughs) Great, great. Okay, and then for you, Darla? Yeah,
0: I'm also, I'm, I'm kind of off social media right now personally. Um, but you can follow, we have kind of a youth services Instagram account um, for my department that's at Suffolk YS on Instagram, and then you can follow, I think on pretty much all the social media platforms, Livebrary, L-I-V-E-B-R-A-R-Y, that's kind of what we call ourselves um, where I work. So, you know, library.com is the hub of all the, you know, you can access overdrive through there. You can access all the databases. So you can follow us at
1: library on various platforms. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you so much, but thank you to just such an exciting conversation. I knew we would have fun. Once you start talking about libraries and books and, you know, we could just keep going. Um, and I will make sure that I tag, you know, what you shouted out. I'll tag Emma Clark, of course. I'll tag Port Jeff. Um, shout out to my libraries out there. Um, I will tag as many of you as I can. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I can't wait to have you both back on again. Have a great rest of your National Library Week. Thank, Thank you, Andrew. Andrew. <laughs> so much Thank fun. You. Bye, listeners. We hope you enjoyed this Ivory Tower Boiler Room or True Crime in Academia episode. You can watch our video versions of our episodes on Patreon.com slash Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Join at the price of an iced coffee or join as an Ivory Tower member and get some of our exclusive merchandise. I could not be here without an amazing team. So I'm Andrew Rimby, the executive director, and I am joined with Mary DePippi, our chief contributor, who hosts True Crime in Academia. It comes out on Tuesdays. Jaren is our marketing director, and our two interns are Nicole Arguello and Kimberly Dallas. And I'm actually here with Mary. So Mary, where can they follow us on social media?
0: You can find us on TikTok and
1: Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Twitter. We are at Ivory Boiler Room and then just search the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on Facebook and you can like
2: our page there.
1: Wonderful. And we, Mary and I and the whole team, hope you all are healthy and happy and we can't wait to join you and you know, have you all join us in the ivory tower boiler room next week. Bye everyone.
0: Bye. Bye.